0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. What is it actually like to take maternity leave as an entrepreneur, especially if you are a female founder? Many of you heard Vanessa Van Edwards join us on the show in January for episode number 96. When we last talked, she was 34 weeks pregnant and she was heading into the final planning and preparation around setting her business up for maternity leave and, of course, welcoming her baby to her family. Well, she had her baby in July, and when her episode went live a few weeks ago, I reached out and sent her a note and I said, How's it going? How did everything turn out? And are you interested in doing a follow-up interview and telling us and taking us behind the scenes to share what your maternity leave was like? Well, first, our email autoresponders talked to each other for a little while since we're both coming back online and we have new young babies. Her baby is now seven months old. My baby is four months old. But we successfully got an interview scheduled. And in today's episode, Vanessa comes back and we talk about her birth what it was like, and whether or not it was what she was expecting. We also go into the part about postpartum that no books are talking about and what nobody tells you about those first few weeks after you have a baby. We talk about what actually happened to her business as a female business owner taking leave as a founder, and we talk about why things and where things didn't really work and how she feels about it. And then we also dive into the nitty gritty of when she actually went back to work versus when she wanted to go back to work, which are two very different things. And so many female founders and business owners and women in general who are navigating maternity leave and their postpartum period and pregnancies often don't have a choice about when they go back to work or they go back to work when earlier or later than they wanted to. And it's a really tricky puzzle to figure out. So we're going to talk about her story and what worked and what didn't work. Thank you to Vanessa for taking the time with a young one to come back on the show and record this special follow-up episode. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. If you live in the United States, you are entitled to a free breast pump with your insurance, but navigating insurance and paperwork can be such a pain. Aeroflow Breast Pumps, the sponsor of this episode, is a company dedicated to making the hassle of getting a breast pump a lot easier for new mamas. If you are a new mom or even a second time or third time mom, Aeroflow has a ton of resources for you about breastfeeding and pumping and navigating the transition back to work all on their website. If you head over to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, they can quickly and easily help you qualify for a free breast pump through your insurance. I just used them for my second baby and it Honestly, took just a couple of minutes to go online and, and enter my information. They ran all the checks, they set up the dates, they sent me an email, they said you're eligible. And then when my eligibility window came up, they went ahead and they shipped it right out to me. So it was super easy. It was such a relief. There is enough to do when you are prepping for a new baby, and having somebody like Aeroflow Breast Pumps on your team is really helpful. The link's in the show notes and it's also on our website too. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to have Vanessa Van Edwards join us on the show for a part two. Vanessa, welcome back. Ooh, that was a quick nine months. I like it. (laughs) The last time we recorded, you were 34 weeks pregnant. Uh, We recorded in June of 2018, I believe. And then a quick presto changeo. insert the magic noises of like, woo, time warp. And now you have a child.
1: It was so easy. It's so oh my gosh! Easy. Just a little boop 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 boop.
0: boop, boop, boop. <laughs> wait, I have a wait. Can I ask you a question before you ask me a question? I don't know if this is allowed. It's totally. You're the first person who's done it, but go ahead.
1: My dad said that my voice changed after giving birth. He, I called him. He was like, "Who is this?" I was like, "It's your daughter." He's like, "No, it doesn't sound like you." So do I sound the same? I think so.
0: Like you sounded like you to me. That's a good question. You sound you sound like you could have just had a cold.
1: Like, I didn't.
0: Yeah, maybe it's the sleep so it deprivation. Change. Are you sleep deprived? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. That's like a trick question, actually. Uh, Trick question. It's like option A, everyone listening hates you. Option B, no, just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so first question, I asked this on the last podcast, what time did you wake up this morning and what was the first thing that you did?
1: So this time I woke up actually at seven because little one is sleeping seven to seven. And the very first thing I did is I put on my socks because I've learned that if I don't put on my socks, my feet are cold all day because I literally never have a chance again to put on socks. So I put on socks and then I nurse my baby. I,
0: <laughs> people <laughs> who don't have children are like, what do you mean you can't put socks on for the rest no, of the do day?
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> if you don't put socks on very first thing, it will be five hours until you have a chance to put socks on again. Correct. And why is that? I don't know, but I have fuzzy socks and I leave them literally right by my bed. Like that's, I like, they're right, right by my bed to put on the moment I get up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you nurse, how old is your little one? She is seven, almost seven months old. Oh, Sienna. So
1: first, I guess, how did the birth go? Okay. So. I don't know if other people have felt this way. And I've listened to a lot of your episodes. I someone might have mentioned this, but I think I was way overprepared for the birth and way under prepared for parenting. I don't know if anyone else felt that way. <laughs> but I think like I was so caught up in the, you know, the the it's a huge experience birth. And I read, I, I probably read 10 books on just birth videos, talk to everyone. Whenever you meet a new mom, you're like, how was the labor? How was the birth? But you so rarely are like, how was the first three days? Tell me about the first three days. So I think I was way overprepared for birth. And that meant that birth was great. Actually, well, I, if I had to th- sum up birth in one word, I could probably give it one word. Hmm. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm. I want to know. Vomiting. <laughs> 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 that was the theme of my birth. <laughs> Do go on. <laughs> yeah. Mm, and now you're like, tell me more. Please tell me more. Leaning in on that. Yeah, my water broke and which was a very exciting because it was like, okay, it's happening for real. My biggest one of my biggest fears was like not knowing if I was in labor, which now that I've been in labor is laughable. So I when my water broke, I was like, great, it's happening. She was six days late. So I basically was doing nothing for six days except waiting for her to come. And answering 500 texts every morning, asking if she had come yet. And so when my water broke, I was like, yes, it's happening. Let's go. But of course, it's not that fast. And went to the doctor. She's like, yep, your water broke. And now we wait. Go home and wait. So I waited. And we walked. My husband and I walked. We waited. We waited. We waited. Nothing. Nothing. And then the scariest, not the scariest, a very um, nerve-wracking thing happened where my doctor called and said, listen which you never like that, you know, when a doctor calls and says, listen, never good. She said, your hospital is about to go on divert, which means it's full, which is crazy because whoever thinks their hospital will be full. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, what? (laughs) So she's like, listen, I need you to basically go to the hospital, like in labor, which I was in labor, but I wasn't really, she's like, and just show up. And I'm going to call and make sure that they get you in. And that's what we did. So my husband and I like ran to the hospital, begged to be let into the hospital and got a room, which was not great for labor progressing because I think, you know, what you're supposed to be doing is staying nice and relaxed, you know, being at home, being comfortable, all that plan went out the window. Like me laboring at home just did not happen because I was going to lose my spot at the hospital. So that was very stressful. Once I was in the hospital, hung out there, but the hospital doesn't like you to just hang out.
0: No. I found out later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They don't love that, especially because I was literally in no labor pain at all. Like I was having no contractions. Like I was like, can I order Mexican food? I was like, totally (laughs) fine. And they were like, we got to get your labor started. So I started a Pitocin drip and they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a Pitocin drip. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to wake up and you'll be in labor. So you'll have a nice, nice sleep as the Pitocin kicks in. (laughs) ha. Huh. <laughs> that was such a good plan that did not work at all. Always plans don't work. And so the, basically the moment I got that Pitocin drip, like like 30 seconds later, I was in labor. Zero to 50, I mean, right away. And then the vomiting began. <laughs> uh, Do you still and, like Mexican food? No, I don't actually. I it, it, it took me about six months to eat Mexican food again, <laughs> because I vomited up Mexican food for a really long time. <laughs> And I don't know if it was the pitocin or the labor or the pain, but I probably vomited like 60 or 70 times, just like just like constant in between contractions and everything. And because of that, I ended up about six hours later, I was like six centimeters. They ended up, I was like, I need an epidural because I could barely get my breath. So got an epidural, best decision ever. I my friends are like, what did it feel like? And the only way I can describe it is that it feels like getting into a warm bath with crack cocaine. <laughs> And I've never had crack cocaine, but I can only imagine that it feels that good because it was the greatest feeling. I mean, the greatest feeling. I finally was able to sort of meditate. The vomiting slowed, but I still was vomiting a bit. And then six hours later, they were like, whoa, like the doctor came in to check me. And she was like, oh, oh, she's here. She's coming. And I spent an hour pushing and she was here. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, vomiting during pushing, vomiting when she came, vomiting during golden hour. Vomiting oh no! At hour. <laughs> do you think, do you think that there it was like bad food? No, I think it was the pitocin. Yeah, I think it was the pitocin. Um, because basically, as soon as that pitocin stopped, a couple of hours later, it it went away. I it, and so I guess that's a really common side effect. So that was actually the more exhausting thing. I mean, of course, it was painful and. You know, it's kind of this crazy experience, but that was, it shook me you know, it was really hard to get my bearing when you're, when you're throwing up that much, especially because by the end I was throwing up like the liquid, the IV was giving me, or I don't even know what, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, vomiting's the worst. I, I had, and also... <laughs> epidurals. I had one for my first birth, was amazing. I asked for one for the second and I didn't get it in time. <laughs> so it had, had no epidural for the second one, which is also really amazing. So I'm kind of glad I had both experiences. But... And looking back, what would you choose? Oh, do whatever you need to do. Like you do <laughs> you, right? I loved my second birth. It was really pleasing. And I loved having the epidural in the first one. So I, yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, yes to all. Yes you know, to I- all. <laughs> All, all that being said, it was an experience that I felt a little overprepared for in the sense that I, I, I had a really good help. My doctors knew what to do. I, I probably could have read one book and it would have been okay. And it was a way better experience. than I thought like even right as it was happening, even while I was vomiting, I was thinking this is better than I thought. And that's really weird to say. But I was like, this is less traumatic than I thought. I think I was really scared it would be traumatic. And I think for some women it can be but it was hard, but it wasn't traumatic. And so I think it was better than I thought. What came later, I think was way harder than I expected. And I felt very underprepared for like the
0: recovery process or the new child process or take us there because I want to know how those first 10 to 12 weeks were with with Sienna and being a new mom.
1: That I got really angry at like week two or three. And What I was angry at was that I had read all these books. I had quote unquote done all the research and I'm a researcher. So I was like, great. Like I have all the knowledge. I like, I know the way. And I felt, I felt like no one had explained this part to me. And I actually went back to some of the books I had read and I noticed something that I didn't notice when I was reading them the first time, which was most of the books I had read said, after the first few weeks, you and your baby will... After the first few weeks, feeding will be After the first few weeks, your baby and sleep will be Yeah. I hadn't noticed that most of the resources I had and that I think that are out there skip the first 2 to 4 weeks. And that was that really threw me. So I expected and maybe this was totally naive, but everything I ever read was said basically the same three things. One, is your baby is going to need to eat every two to two and a half hours. You're going to be on a constant rotation. Two, you have to do feeding, sleeping, changing, repeat. Feeding, sleeping, changing, repeat. All the sleep, safe sleep guidelines over and over and over again, right? Baby needs to be on their back, on their own, in a bassinet next to you or in a crib in their own room, but ideally next to you, right? All the, all the recommendations. And I heard those same things over and over and over again. What I didn't hear is what actually happens in the first three weeks is completely different for everyone. And you might not have a baby that gets up every two to two and a half hours. And you might not have a baby that sleeps everywhere on anything. And so what I didn't realize was that I was really expecting the hard part to be the two and a half hour grind. That was actually not what happened for us. Sienna wasn't on a two and a half hour schedule. So for her, she actually was sleeping pretty well at night. She was, doing like four hour stretches right from the beginning at night. Amazing. Mm -hmm. But, but would not sleep on her own ever. Didn't matter the swaddle, didn't matter the expensive jiggling bassinet, didn't, didn't matter. She wanted to be on a body all the time and no one, I felt like, and maybe if I had been warned, that would have scared me. I don't know, but I literally hadn't, I never even knew that was an option. And so what happened was, is we would go to put her down, like literally even in the hospital, like have her all swaddled with a little hat on. She just nursed a little bit, put her down, awake, hold her asleep, put her down, awake. And then all the recommendations say, you can't sleep with your baby. In fact, in the hospital, we were so tired by the second night that, and she would not sleep on a bassinet that I was holding her. In, like she was, I had her laid laying next to me in the in the hospital bed with like a like a big blanket between us, so that she could kind of feel my presence. And she and I were both sort of asleep, like finally. And the nurse came in and said, What you're doing is extremely dangerous. You cannot sleep with your baby. It's very dangerous. You have to put your baby down. And I'm like, My baby will not sleep in the bassinet. And she's like, Yes, yes, the baby will. You just have to train the baby to do that. And so I was faced with this horrible guilt and challenge and that the, my Sienna wouldn't sleep if she wasn't on a body, but we couldn't sleep if she was on us. And so it, the first four weeks of her life were literally begging people to come over and trade me so that I could get sleep when she wasn't sleeping on me yeah, because she would only sleep on a body. Right. Oh my gosh. I didn't know what to do. And like, even now, like looking back, I still don't know exactly what I would do. And then, as I was talking to moms about this, a lot of moms were like, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Or, oh, yeah, we had that for a a few weeks. Or, oh, yeah, we had that during sleep regression. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And some moms are like, well, I just slept with her and we slept together. And I'm like, but that's quote unquote dangerous. And it opened up this whole world of things that authors won't put in books because it's a liability. And, uh, nurses and doctors won't recommend because it's not official recommendation and just being left with, I don't know what to do. I'm either going to be dangerous and sleep with, try to sleep with my baby or stay up all night so that she can sleep on me. So what did you end up doing? Bringing in a rotation of people that that's literally was the only way I begged in-laws, parents. Ah, uh, so it was like a rotation. It was like me, my husband, my mom, my dad, me, my husband, my mom, my dad for weeks. It was the only way that I felt like we weren't breaking some rule, yeah, it it's so
0: it's so hard. i what you said those first few weeks, I think there's so much that people don't talk about. They might talk about the losha and the bleeding that you're going to, like what your, mm-hmm. your body goes that. through. Because yeah. it's like you're going to have the world's longest, biggest period ever for four weeks. Don't be surprised. <laughs> like hashtag yeah. buy depends. But yeah, that early part is hard because every baby is different. And I know a lot of people that ask me for advice about how to plan for their maternity leave. I'm like, you just, we don't know what kind of baby you're going to have. And once you know the kind of baby you have, it all depends. And some babies just don't want to be left alone. So one recommendation I have for people listening, if you're pregnant and you're like really scared, what you can do in advance is find the, a number of a, lo- a local night nurse, a local lactation consultant, basically shore up your resources. Not that you need them, but if you do need them, you're, you'll thank your past self because you can call a night nurse for a situation like that and be like, your job is to hold the baby from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m.
1: So I get four hours. Right. So that's what, what ended up happening is we found a doula locally and she was the first person who said to me, no one would give me permission to just like, she was like, you can sleep with your baby. Like you can I'm not saying you can. She actually literally said, she's like, I'm not saying you can, but you can. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. she was so, you know, everyone's so afraid to tell you that. And so she really helped because she ended up taking a lot of the night stints, right? And she would just bring the baby to me when the baby needed to be fed. She cooked for us. She cleaned for us. That was incredible. That was the best money we ever spent. And then eventually helped Sienna learn to sleep on her own at night. So that was the first big hurdle, which I think happened at like six weeks where she finally learned how to sleep on her own at night. And we, I would come and nurse her, obviously, in, in the middle of the night. and we. St- Still, at seven months, she sleeps great the night, but we still have trouble with her sleeping on her own during the day, still. Mm.
0: I was going to say, because we started this episode, and you said seven to seven, so I wanted to ask you how you got there.
1: Yeah, she's a really always been a good night sleeper. As I mentioned, even in the beginning, she was doing four-hour stretches at night, so luckily, she never ended up being too nocturnal, and it was the first the doula, and then my husband said, I want to do nights, which was incredibly kind he was like look like i think i can help her learn to sleep at night so what happened was is my husband would sleep in the nursery we we uh, we took some very good advice from someone who said put a fold-out couch or futon in the nursery which was such a good idea if you have the space So we have a fold-out couch in the nursery. So he slept in the nursery, and I slept upstairs. And when she was taking bottles, I would pump, leave the bottle for him, and he would give her the bottle when she needed it. And my husband, and I think that the fact that he's a man and isn't as sensitive to her crying, he he doesn't jump up as quickly, he would just practice giving her a little extra time, not if she was crying, but more like, I don't know if uh, if you know, like la pause, you know, Yes, I was going to say the pause. Yeah, exactly. Giving her the pause, you know, like letting her just chill out in her crib for a little longer. And so I actually credit him for teaching her to sleep through the night, because he wasn't as scared as me. Like I was always scared that, oh my gosh, she's crying! Oh my gosh, she's going to wake of the house! I got to feed her right away. She's starving, right? Like I would jump up out of bed to get her, and my husband would be like, "She's okay. Like give her a few seconds." And he would show me on the video monitor. Now he's back up in our in our bed. He shows me on the video monitor that she, he's like, "Look, she's awake. You can see she's awake, and she's kind of, mm, 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 you know, not crying, just like, mm, 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 not happy." And he's like, "Watch, watch. She's still asleep." Watch. And, he, and, I'm, and I'm like, I'm like biting my hands. I'm like, oh my God, I have to go get her. I have to go pick her up. I have to go burp her. Where's the burp? Where to... He's like, just watch. She's still asleep. She's just whimpering. She's not crying. And sure enough, you know, 10 minutes later, I mean, not quick, she goes back to sleep. She didn't need a bottle. Yes. I credit him with that. I mean, husbands or people who are anyone in your life who has a, a little bit of an extra uh, wick, I would say especially if they're less sleep deprived than you, which my husband was because he was getting more sleep than me in the beginning. They're willing to wait a little bit longer. And that, God, that really helped her.
0: It does. Because it's like when you're that, that little, they need a couple of minutes, not hours, but a couple of minutes. Can you get this? Can you figure it out? What happens yeah. next for you? Right. And like they build up into a big old whale, and you're like, all right, all right, I'm coming. Yeah, um, yeah. But, or they, or they figure it out and they're like, oh, here's my hand. I'm going to chew on this. Oh, oops, I fell asleep again. Not all babies, every baby's different. And when you're the hormonal soup that you are postpartum, like uh, my sister used to make fun of me because she would say, she's like, your baby never cries. And I was like, e- yeah. And she's like, you never let your baby cry. Mm -hmm. let's be clear, like you like (laughs) run to stuff your boob in his face. You can give him a little, like crying isn't bad. It's just his way of talking. And I was like, yeah, but I can't
1: stand it. Right. (laughs) Right. And that was totally me. So having um, him help at nights when I was particular, my guard was particularly like, you know, I also, I think that you want your baby to go back to sleep as soon as possible, of course. And so you're more likely to get up faster because one minute when you're trying to go back to sleep is a long time. Right. But one minute during the day is a little bit different. So that was instrumental. Also, I will say tools helped us. We we moved from Halo Sleep Sacks at the beginning, really helped. Halo sleep sacks, thank goodness, for what she first used. Then we had to graduate to the sleep strap. I think it's an ace and gosh, I don't know. It's it's so it's when they when she was kicking a lot, you couldn't use the entire sleep sack, you had to use the sleep strap so that she couldn't start to roll herself over. So we graduated from the sleep sack to the sleep strap. <laughs> and then we graduated to the Merlin. And now she's not using anything. So I will also say it was critical that we use those three things in those orders. If we use the Merlin too early, it wouldn't have worked. If we'd used the sleep sack too long, it wouldn't have worked. So graduating from those three things actually really helped.
0: Oh my gosh. I You're flooding me with all of these like experiences cuz i'm right in there with you right familiar there. with all of this and i'm trying to think about like how do we how do we tell people about those first 3 months and also that rule where that's like Back to sleep, never touch your baby. They should be in a separate place don 't put them in your bed. This would be an interesting thing if you have if you have any spare time to do some research on the side. I am remembering for people listening that that all of the stuff that that our doctors are telling us are about sid 's sudden infant death syndrome, and obviously you know i 'm not a doctor, so don 't take this as medical advice but um, one of the things that 's interesting when you look at the research is The highest instances of SIDS happen when people sleep with their babies when they're also drinking or smoking. And if you're not a drinker and you're not a smoker, it's actually much safer and you can feel more comfortable about doing it. It has to be your choice. Your doctor can't tell you. Your doula can't tell you. I can't tell you. Vanessa can't tell you, right? But that might be something to look into to see where's your comfort level and what are the ways to make it the safest possible. And or if it's not something you're comfortable with, how do you figure out how to hire help to get sleep and what's that going to look like? Because no one talks about those first four to six weeks. And then the irony is that moms are supposed to go back to work at six weeks, Right. How, how is that even possible? So let's shift to talk about that yeah. because you run your own business and neither you nor I have the answer for how to solve infant sleep, but we can tell people that they should go look, <laughs> read about that. What was your maternity leave like? I know you were planning on doing some work across it. What actually happened?
1: Yeah. So the plan was to try to give myself two months of nothing and then slowly integrate back with a couple of hours you know a week maybe 2 hours a day i had this fantasy which i think maybe everyone has but i really thought that when babies sleep they sleep and you can work while they sleep and that really sounds like a plan like that really does sound like a good plan and you hear this fact oh babies sleep 16 hours a day and you're thinking great if a baby sleeps 16 hours a day I sleep eight hours a day. That's eight hours of work. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like good math? Go on. So I really, really thought that the first two months, I would just sort of relax and be with the baby. (laughs) And that once, you know, the baby was, when Shanna was sleeping more, uh, I would get eight hours of work in while she napped because I can sort of work while she naps. That just never happens especially as they, their playtime is so much more active. And so I quickly, quickly, quickly learned that wasn't going to work. But what happened sooner than that was 12 days after giving birth, we had a major, major customer service crisis. And that's one of those things you can't plan for. And they happen. And my husband and I both work in the business. He's CEO. So that was incredibly hard because one of us, If not both of us, had to deal with this crisis. The other thing that happened, which is kind of a weird issue, is we have a team, and two of our main employees obviously knew I was pregnant. They knew around the time that I was giving birth, and they were going to cover for us, for especially for my husband, while uh, in the first few weeks, they decided to take vacation (laughs) Uh a week after my due date, and we were like we we need you to cover. And they were like, no, we want to take a vacation. And so that was also something that put us in a very weird position because the teammates that we had planned on covering for us left for a few days. And unfortunately, a few of those days were also during the customer service crisis. So I share that because I think that even team members, they can get sick, people you think are covering you can decide to take vacation, and there's not always anything you can do about it. So I was really surprised by that and a little bit devastated by it, but there was nothing I could do. So I was thrust back into work 12 days after, and um, unfortunately for me, it kind of broke the seal. And I don't know if anyone else has, a, I don't know if you experienced this, but it's like when you're out, you're out. I couldn't just put my toe back in. I couldn't just solve the customer service crisis and then go back to being out. And it wasn't the easiest thing to fix. So it was two or three really hard weeks of trying to work while she was sleeping during the day. And then after that, she was about five or six weeks old. And I was like, well, guess I should just go back.
0: <laughs> so did you end up going back?
1: I did. Yeah. Ooh. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not full, full time, but uh, maybe five at four or five hours a day, five days a week, maybe six days a week. And then at two months, we got a nanny to come 40 hours a week. And so then I was back full time. How are you? I was going to say, what's your childcare look like? And then how are you feeling about it? I feel really kind of betrayed by my business, which is hard because my business also sustains me. And I'm also very grateful for my business. And I also have to remember that like the, the the customer service issue, it wasn't all of our readers. It wasn't all of our students. It was a couple people. And so it was really, really hard to not feel like I had put, you know, 10 years of my life into building this business so that I could take some time as a mom. And here I was 12 days out and I couldn't. So I felt just really, really betrayed by, I don't know, like, yeah, like, like the business doesn't have a personality, but in a way it sort of did. And even now, I look back and I'm like, I'm so grateful the business pays the bills. I'm so grateful for all the opportunities the business gives me. But it also has, it brought me back sooner than I was ready. Like I was not ready and I had to be back. And there was nothing I could do about it. Business, you're such an. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's see if they can bleep that out. Uh, and your, uh, so your second question was childcare, which we have a nanny from nine to five, five days a week pretty simple and straightforward. And that is working. That is working really, really well. Um, And we've been doing that for the last three months. Do you both work from home or do you have an office that you go to? Yeah. So we both work from home, which makes it really nice because I'm still nursing. She also does supplements with formula, which Also another thing that I wish I had known a little bit more about, which we can talk about. So yeah, so it's really nice because I get to, you know, be with her when she wakes up, usually around seven, seven to nine. So nice. We have this beautiful morning time. I don't have to get dressed and ready. You know, I kind of eat breakfast with her. And then the nanny comes and uh, she does her first morning nap, which is great. I go to work. I actually try not to check my email or anything before nine o'clock just so I can be like totally with her, which is Wonderful, and then I get to usually have lunch with her, and uh, she's just starting solids, so I get to give her some solids usually over lunch and eat with her, nurse her if she needs, but usually I try to pump during the day because um, otherwise I think it's a little confusing for her if I'm nursing her and then I'm like bye, (laughs) Uh, and then at five I get her for her evening time, five to seven is usually when she's up and we play and. Uh, I nurse her before bed a couple of things I want to dive
0: into and I'm going to try to hang on to the threads without forgetting, but you know my baby's four months old, so this is how it is. the first one the first one is you mentioned a little bit ago that you thought you'd be able to work while the baby sleeps and that just doesn't happen. And I totally understand what you mean, but I want to unpack that a little bit because I think it's a really confusing but important point that, Even I am relearning while I am sitting here, like I'm muting myself in between asking you questions so that I can eat peanuts because I need to feed myself. Yes, good job. (laughs) Like Because I know that as soon as we get off of this call, I'm going to have to run to the bathroom to empty my bladder and then get to the kitchen, grab the pump parts, put them on in between this call and the next call so I can finish. Like why? Let's unpack this a little bit for people listening because- I don't know. I think I used to have a lot of judgment when I heard people say that. I'm like, oh, you're just not that efficient. I'm a really efficient yes. person. I'm sure I'll be able to get some work done. And the only way, and I'm very vocal about this because I think it's important, the only way I've been able to do work while they nap is for some unknown reason, I have children that take four-hour naps during the day. Wow. Yeah. So, like wow. people listening, that's unusual. I don't give the melatonin. Gu- I don't know what it is, but they just happen to. So, I have been able to do a little bit of writing, but that's bu- that's far and away like not normal for babies. And I still struggle because I have to still feed myself and water myself, pee myself, pump myself. Like those things come first before writing. And then by the time I get all of those, I realize my armpits are so smelly. I should probably shower myself. And then the baby wakes up. <laughs>
1: Okay. Yes. Let's unpack this because I wish someone had unpacked this for me. So here's why it's possible, but very hard to work while they sleep. And it is correct that babies do often sleep for about 16 hours. So why don't you get eight hours of work time or free time or play time? So I think that what happens is, and I've thought about this a lot is, so most babies take a 45 minute to an hour and 15 minute nap. If you're lucky right? Is that- Yes. Is, is, yep. 90 if, minutes maybe once they get a little older and they can stretch them together. Yes. Yes. And if, if you're not lucky, they could take 20 to 30 minute naps. Okay. <laughs> and that there are days like that. So if, if you just take the average nap, which is 45 minutes, and I think it's about 45 minutes from what I've read from my friends I've talked to, a 45 minute nap is about average from- Age three months, kind of on for a while, like in that stage where you're trying to figure out, can I work right now? But the forty-five minutes is not bed to bed. It's it's usually like, okay, you're nursing, and they start to fall asleep, but they're still finishing nursing. So there's about five or ten minutes there. You're trying to get them off the boob because they're kind of done sucking. Okay, you get them off the boob, you burp them. That takes three to five minutes because you got to burp. them. They're sleeping, but you got to burp them. Then you carry them over to the crib and they kind of wake up right as the transition from the crib to the bassinet. And so you have to stand there and you have to pat their butt or rub their back or hum or something, at least in my case. And a lot of other cases, I think some friends have told me that's very similar right there. That's probably 10 to 12 minutes gone from the 45 minutes. Okay, just the transition from boob or bottle, and the same for bottle, also burping, to crib and then putting them, letting them fall back asleep in the crib, especially if you put them down drowsy, which you're supposed to do, quote unquote, if you put them down drowsy, it might take a little bit for them to actually fall asleep. You leave, you go pee, you get a snack, you sit down, okay, there's five to six minutes that's gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're looking at the monitor now, right? <laughs> and- you have your computer open and the monitor next to your computer and you're, what are we, t- 20 minutes into the nap already mm-hmm. by this point? Yeah. Right. The is next to you. You open your email. You do get to check your email, right? You go through it really quickly. Okay. Nothing urgent. Good. Oh, she turned her head. You're watching. You're watching. You're watching. She awake? She awake? No, she's good. Okay. Back to email. Okay. Now, what email do I have to reply to? Maybe you get one email out. Okay. Then, now she's merp, and you have to go back in and pat her, <laughs> pat her butt. Pat her butt, pat her butt, pat her butt, pat her pat butt, pat her butt. Stay the asleep. Pat her butt, pat her butt, pat her butt, pat her butt, pat her butt. That's another five minutes. You're back. Now you only have 20 minutes left of the entire nap cycle. And again, you're spending half of it watching her on the monitor. You also have to then get yourself something to eat, maybe decide if you want to pump. There are also dishes in the sink. You haven't taken a nap yet. You should call your mother. You should also, it's like that. So you can get a couple things done, but it's not like I could pound out an article in 45 minutes. And I didn't realize that the naps, that they need so much support while they sleep. You know, it's not just, yeah, you put them in the crib, a little drowsy, they fall asleep, they wake up, I'm awake 45 minutes later. They need a lot of help, at least Sienna does. And I think that a lot of babies do while they're actually sleeping. And you're lucky if that's not the case. And if that's not the case, you still also want to take a nap yourself, (laughs) Do the dishes, you know, you know what I mean. So, that I just didn't expect all that. I don't know if that was a super long answer, but that's what it I wish. It was I great. It
0: because I think it's the logistics that people skip over. Just like they skip over those first two or three weeks. They're like after, you know, after the first couple of weeks, it's it's there's just these details in the the minutia of it where, from an outside observer, if you read. Oh, they'll – they eat every two and a half hours. Piece of information that's missing is it may take them 45 minutes to eat. Yes. And, yes. and then you only have about an hour and a half in between feeding sessions and you are stuck in the bed for those 45 minutes while they're eating or wherever you're sitting. And so you, you may have to really, really use the bathroom. So you finally get your kid to sleep and you've got that window in between where your kid's going to be asleep for just a short period of time and you – Have to run and get stuff. And then you're like, how did I get back to feeding them again so quickly? Because it's it's not like you you can't unload your breast milk or formula into them in zero time. You have to, it takes time to put the food into the baby. So
1: yeah. And, And also, and and we we are lucky that Sienna is a very happy baby. She never went through witching hour. She doesn't have very cranky periods. We're lucky on that. I have many friends who also have periods in there of just Crying and upset, and you know, just needs to be soothed because they're because they're upset, and I I couldn't imagine adding that on top of it with the whole two and a half hour cycle. Yeah. I mean, when they come out, they the transition to the world as
0: a newborn is so challenging and so hard. And their nervous system is so little that they are like they literally are clinging on to us and holding on to us because they're trying to get established. And some babies have like vertigo problems or they have reflux problems or eczema or whatever it is where they're just like not ready or colic. The world is not yet they're not quite situated in it yet. And they need all of you all the time to help them for those first 12 weeks. And I know people who, who say like, well, I'll just work when the baby sleeps. And I'm like, Ooh, please don't make that your backup plan. Like, like come up with a different plan. If that works, awesome. But don't plan on it or count on it because this is going to be really brutal for you if it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. And also I don't, the other thing I didn't realize, and forgive me if this is like too like wooey wooey, is I thought that giving birth was the most adult thing I could do, right? Like being a mother is the most adulting thing there is. In my opinion, I thought that's what I thought. What I didn't realize is that, while it is true that giving birth is very adult, taking care of another human being is the greatest and most honorable responsibility we can have, giving birth and parenting is also very, very regressive for mothers. What I mean by regressive is that as a new mother, You also go back to your baby time in the sense of all of a sudden, there's no more. If you look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is like food, shelter. And then you go up to like the self-esteem and leadership and motivations, all of a sudden while you're pregnant you're in the top of maslow's hierarchy of needs you're thinking about dreams and values and goals for your baby and meaning with your partner and you're in deep love and you're grateful you're at the very top of that triangle the moment you give birth the the triangle is cut in half and you go right back to the bottom which is am i getting enough food and the answer is usually no you're not eating enough am i getting enough sleep are we all safe and taken care of so All of a sudden, you go to the most regressive state, which are the states that you also had as a baby, and you're a beginner again. So just like your baby's a beginner at eating and sleeping and living, you're a beginner at eating and sleeping and living for them and for yourself. And so this crazy emotional thing happens as well, where you're like, I feel like a baby as well. You don't feel like a baby, but your needs are baby like and you're a beginner at everything again and you're back to the basics, which is a very abrupt state of mind and change from being very in your head of oh, it's the dream being a parent, being a mother. And so I didn't also expect the the regressive nature of being a mom.
0: That's so well said. And it's so true because you're curled up and you're stuck under a baby. And like, it's so funny because I can see the picture that it looks so serene, but the experience feels like help someone get me food. I'm stuck. Like, I <laughs> need someone to feed me. I have to pee. I'm going to wet the bed. Like, it yeah. is very <laughs> limiting. And then that a huge shift into the space of being very new at something, brand new or unsure or uncertain and needing other people's help, it can be emotionally and psychologically frustrating and exhausting because you're like, I'm a person who just gets things done. Why can't I do this? I'm smart. Why can I not even make it to the
1: toilet? It's very hard for very high achieving women. And I think everyone who's listening is probably an incredible achiever that, oh my gosh, I can't even get myself fed properly. Is a really almost demoralizing thing, but you've also done this amazing thing by producing this human. So it's like this very crazy thing where you're like, I made this finger, but I can't eat my own sandwich, <laughs> like in the same breath. Yes. You know? Yeah,
0: it's so true. So the other follow up question that I had was about the nine to five schedule, because you said your nanny comes at nine and then you have her till five. And I wanted to ask you to do a little comparing and contrasting of your work schedule and your work life before you had a kid and now, and to talk us through what's changed about the way that you show up to work and, and in life, I guess, in general.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I will say that at almost seven months, my work schedule is, my work day is actually not that different. And that comes as a great relief that we've figured out a way that when I, when I sit down at my desk at nine, my day is not that different from nine to five. I still do all the emails and podcasts and I get to write. The only difference during the day is I'm hooked up to a pump three times a day, (laughs) which is a little bit annoying, but it isn't game changing because I work at home and I get to have lunch with my wonderful daughter. The only difference there, or I guess the, the biggest difference is the emotional aspect. So on the outside, it looks really similar. On the inside, the guilt is different. So before, I would work during the day and feel like, yes, I had a great day. I got a lot of work done. Now, if I work during the day, I feel like, yes, I worked during the day. Yay. But I didn't get to see my daughter. And so when I have a really productive day, it means I didn't get to spend as much time playing on the mat with her. And so that sets me up for kind of a trap. And I know this trap, I've heard about this trap before, but it's hard because I almost, it's like very hard to feel like I'm doing everything very well. Because if I'm really productive at work, it means I didn't take enough breaks to pop down and see her when she was awake. And if I pop down to spend a lot of time with her and take an extra long lunch with her, I didn't get as much done during my workday. That's a significant emotional burden that I now face every day.
0: Do you think your spouse feels the same way?
1: No, (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. And like that's really hard. And I don't know if that's hormonal or wiring he feels like, and he is right about this too, by the way, I think that he's right, that as a man being able to work at home, he gets so much more time with her than the average working dad. And so in his mind, it's like amazing. It's an amazing setup because he's like, I can see her before work. I can see her when she plays on the mat. I can pop down whenever I want and see her. And so for him, it's like, I'm so lucky. I can work and I can see her whenever I want. I can take her to a pediatrician in the middle of the day if I need to. I can, like, you know, give her a bottle if if I feel like spending some time with her. And so for him, he's comparing himself to something different. I think working dads are comparing themselves to other working dads, working mothers are comparing themselves to stay at home mothers. Mm -hmm. And that's a major difference.
0: So, how do you reconcile with it? How do you, how do you, deal with it, feel it, experience it?
1: I don't know. I think that the best way that I've been able to lower the guilt a little bit is to know that she's getting at least different and maybe even better stimulation from our amazing nanny. So I know that our nanny plays games with her that are different than I do. She does sounds, she does textures, she does different things that I do than when I'm with her. And so I... I, I'm like, okay, at least, you know, she loves this person. Our nanny takes wonderful care of her and she gets an experience of a different kind of caregiver for a few hours a day. And I will say our nanny is far better at putting her to sleep during the day than I am. So the one way that I like the sal, like the balm I give myself and I'm like, oh, I'm not spending enough time with her today is she has someone who is prioritizing her sleep and that lets her sleep way better than I do and is giving her different kinds of experiences than when I'm with her. And I'm also extremely grateful for my time with her because I didn't get to spend the whole day with her. Those are the things I tell myself over and over again. I don't know how long that will last, but they help right now.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so hard and so interesting. at the time of this recording, my little one just started daycare yesterday, so oh. Oh. <laughs> I feel all the feelings. I, like they asked me, they're like, "How are you doing, Mama?" And I was like, "Don't ask me that. I'm gonna cry." Um, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, do you want a hug?" And I was like, "Definitely not," because then yeah, I
1: like. Exactly. <laughs> like Really? I like if I see her, the way our house is set up is like the kitchen is kind of off to the side of her play area. And sometimes I just sneak downstairs because I don't want her to see me and get like sad. And then I get sad and then she gets sad, which is like horrible because I'm like, oh my God, I don't want, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. Like she's having a good time playing. I don't want to come in and be like, hi, bye. Because she's like, why would you do that to me? <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, this is a weird thing, but like two things I wish someone could tell me. And of course, no one will. One, does video calling confuse them or help them? <laughs> like I have to do my very first business trip coming up away from her. And I'm very conflicted on if I video call her, will that help her or help? Or is it, just, is it selfish of me? Will it confuse her or will it help her? And two, is saying hi bye during the day better or worse? Like, does she want to know that I'm just one room away? Or does she not want to know that I'm one room away? Great questions, I may have to have you back to ask you anyone these know, later. Anyone know the answer to those questions? Because as a mom, you're like, should I be just popping down every hour or so so she knows that I'm here and I'm with her and like, you know, she can I I'm not far away? Or is that like, is she confused by that? I'm
0: of the ignorance is bliss kind of stance okay. where it's like it's I imagine that it's hard to tell the difference between time and if they're happy and content and they're there for an hour or three hours, whatever it is they're happy and content. And
1: like, we do it, there's our needs and there's their needs, right? So do you ever have the feeling, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like, I, one of the other like emotional things that I feel like I deal with on a daily basis as a mom, which is very surprising is she is so amazing. And I feel like so kind and patient. She's so patient. Like, I feel like she's like, gosh, mom, catch up. Like, I feel like she's so patient. I feel so grateful for her. And I almost feel like, you know, I'm, I'm doing her a disservice. Like she's so awesome that I'm not living up to her expectations and needs. And that I feel just like lucky to have her. And I wish I could keep up with her. And that's, that's a really crazy feeling because she's a baby, but I feel like I'm so lucky to have her. And I oh, I just don't want to disappoint her. Yes. <laughs> I just like, want to cry, but like, that's how I feel.
0: There's a Montessori book that I read. I don't remember the name of it right now, but it talks in it. Maria Montessori has a couple of quotes and she talks about how our society gets children backward. And we tell the story that children need adults. Like, Children are these needy clingy things and they need caretakers and they need these humans to help them survive. But Montes- Maria Montessori says actually adults need children as much as children need adults. There's a symbiotic relationship happening here and children have as much to teach us as we do them. And I feel the same way when I watch my children and I'm just in awe of like all of the ways that I still have to mature and grow as a human and I start wondering like if one of the reasons our society is so messed up in so many ways is because we've hidden children and instead of like we see them as these awful things to like be corralled into special places and hidden from society and we keep them out of restaurants and they're annoying when really if we would design a world that embraces children we'd actually like there's so much potential for the adults and the humans anyways I love what you said, and I feel like you started crying, which is going to start me start crying, which is going to be just a crying episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> everyone <Yeah>. listening, <laughs> hormones. Uh, yeah. Knowing what you know now, having gone through the experience, if you could change anything about like your journey into parenthood or about your business or even... I don't want to ask you if you're going to have children, more children because I hate that question. But like in a hypothetical world, if you're going to do this again, what would you do
1: next? I think about that like almost every day. And the reason I think about that is because I want a second baby. And that makes me think like for every milestone, basically, I'm like, how will I do this next time? how will I do this next time? Because I'm, I'm a learner and I'm an optimizer and optimizing is great, but it's very hard as a parent because not every baby is the same. So I'm constantly like, what have I learned from this experience? How can I optimize this for next time? Like, you know, and that doesn't always work. So I definitely do want a second. (sighs) And I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I know some answers. I think that the biggest thing is it was absolutely correct to go in with the spirit of, I want to try to take two to three months completely off. That was wonderful because that helped me have a little bit of freedom in the beginning. If I knew I had to go back early, it would have been even harder. At least I had my content calendar filled for six months. At least I had told everyone I won't be back for a few months. And so that spirit was the correct spirit. Like that was the right way to think about it. And I think going into it next time, I would actually extend it and say, I want to be able to build my business to the place where I could take six months off for both kids, knowing that probably something will come up and that's okay. But if I go into it with that plan, at least it will alleviate some of the pressure like it did last time. And I'll have the expectation that something will come up in there, but I should plan for six months off. And if I get two, that would be great.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. That was what we did for baby number two, for our little Henry. I tried to do six months and got about three months and it is what it is.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: it is. You do the and- best you can go
1: ahead yeah and that i also think that i felt like going back was sort of black or white and i don't think it is that way i think that if you run your own business there's a lot of gray like it's there's a difference between you know popping into your email while you're nursing with one hand that's kind of going back it's not going back you're not sitting at your desk and so allowing a little bit of like ramp up time and building that in where okay like I want to take six months off from any kind of writing or any kind of big projects or any kind of interviews. But if I want to start to check emails, the the emergency emails, the important emails at two months, okay, I can start with that ramp up. If I want to do a couple of, you know, team calls at three or four months to check in. Okay. So like it's not just black and white. I'm back or not, especially I think as, as entrepreneurs, it's, there almost is no black and white back or not.
0: Yes, yes. You know, it's funny. I I said 3 months and then I just realized remembered I submitted an article to Harvard Business Review the week before I went into labor and they um, approved the 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 draft the day I went into labor. So that morning uh, I was like oh, you know what, I'll just send this in. And I sent it in. And then I felt the contraction starting. And I was like, oh, Sarah, you better finish this. like (laughs) Because I knew it was coming. So I hurried and finished it. And then 10 days later, after Henry was born, they emailed me and said it was live on the site. Uh And I was like, no, this is why I run my own business. I love Uh this. And Uh so I went and I shared it. And then Minnesota Public Radio and Wisconsin Public Radio reached out and wanted me to do an interview. And I was like, I'm not prepared for this, but I would really like to do this. I found a local babysitter. I was like, all you got to do is hold the baby for 30 minutes. Can you do it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm going to try to string together coherent sentences. Ready? Let's do it. And like that's creating the space to be able to say yes to the life you want. God, it's hard. It's hard
1: AF and it's messy and and it's messy. I think that that's really the bottom line is going back and working is not going to be as I don't think for most people as clear cut as I went back in six months. I don't think we, we have that luxury. It's going to be a little mucky and messy. But I think that also is a real benefit of owning our own businesses.
0: Vanessa, this has been amazing. Thank you for being so transparent and sharing so much of the journey. I love hearing the inside, even though I do not love that the hard parts. I'm so grateful that you shared.
1: Oh, gosh, my pleasure. Sorry for getting a little teary there at the end. And all everyone listening, thank you for your kindness and support. And I got some great reach outs from the last interview. So thank you so much. And, you know,
0: I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs, and I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.